Today's scripture is taken from 1 Timothy 1, verses 12 through 16. Christ Jesus came to save sinners. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is, trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. So our text this morning comes from 1 Timothy, where we have Paul writing to his son in the ministry, uh, Timothy. So he, he starts out the passage, he walks through warning Timothy of false prophets, and then after that he gets into uh, this phrase, this, this uh, section of verses where he wants to highlight the importance of the gospel. He wants to uh, really uh, encourage Timothy with the hope and the power of the gospel that Jesus has come to save sinners. And so uh, our verses this morning, verses 12 through 16, the point of the passage is that Jesus came to save sinners. I'm sure you picked up on that as we read it. What I want us to do this morning, what I hope we, we would find encouragement in this morning, is that there are eight uh, actions, eight references to what Christ did in the life of Paul uh, to save him. And so as we walk through this this morning, what we, what we see in the life of Paul, you can substitute yourself there. Christ has come and saved, uh, come to save sinners. And if you know him this morning, what he has done in the life of Paul, you can rejoice and say that he has, he has done in your life also. And so we have eight, eight points this morning. The first would be that Jesus Christ gave Paul strength. We see that in verse 12. Uh, Jesus' strength that he gave to Paul was twofold. He first gave Paul spiritual life. Uh, Paul was made alive. We see that in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 22, where it says, For in all Adam die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Jesus also gave Paul the strength to serve as his apostle. The familiar verse of Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. Paul saw all of his vitality and spiritual uh, just energy, his, his everything, his being, as coming from Christ. This is what empowers uh, Paul to say in Galatians 2.20, that I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Next, we see in our passage this morning that Jesus judged Paul as faithful. Jesus judged Paul as faithful. The question I would ask this morning is, how? How does Jesus judge Paul as faithful? And Paul was faithless. Paul was as a, about as anti-Christ as you can be in his persecution of the saints. And so how, is, how does Paul, in, in this verse writing to Timothy, say that Christ judged him faithful? Jesus didn't look into the future and see that Paul was going to be faithful. Paul had no faith when Jesus encountered him. Jesus judges Paul uh, 
as faithful, not based on anything Paul contributed, but based on Jesus knowing who he would make Paul to be. Notice that in saving Jesus and in saving you and me, he judges us not He's just as faithful, not because of our abilities, but based on his power to change us. I, I like the, the, the word there, judged. It gives an emphasis on Christ being the judge. Christ is the authority. Jesus is the, is the authority. What other authority can bring a charge against us? In Christ, the gavel has been slammed. He is innocent, faithful, just. This is what Christ did for, for Paul and he's done for us this morning. Jesus elected Paul for service. We see that in, in verse 12. Consider this, apostle, apostle elect, Paul, a persecutor of Christians, a blasphemer, violent opponent. This is what Paul brings to the table for Christ to elect him into service. Paul voiced his hatred and derision and his belief that Jesus was not God and attacked anyone who claimed to follow Christ. If we were Jesus, and praise be that we are not, we would have not elected Paul to be in our service. Paul was a terrorist. We see in, in, in Acts uh, chapter 8, verse 3, that Paul ravaged the church, dragging men and women out of their homes. Paul even approved and, and witnessed the stoning of Stephen. But this teaches us something about Jesus' salvation in our lives. It's that Jesus isn't frustrated or bothered by your sin. Jesus didn't look at Paul and say, I can't elect him based on his his track record. The power of Jesus to save means that whatever your previous occupation is, you now have a new one. Jesus qualifies you for service. Paul had a record of voting Christians to be executed. But Jesus saves. Jesus voted Paul in. Jesus' vote always counts. Everyone Jesus elects always wins. This is the power of the gospel in Christ. What we should understand also about Jesus' salvation is that he enlists you into service this morning. This is all a part of the gospel that you previously worked for sin and death, and now by Christ you have the the privilege and the honor to be willing and excited to serve the one who saved you. Jesus, when he meets his disciples in Matthew Chapter 4, 19 says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Right from the start, Jesus is is telling his disciples what his plan is. If you follow me, you're going to go through life on a journey. I'm taking you and the end of it is that you will be fishers of men. You see again in John chapter 15, verses 15 and 16, where Jesus says, no longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I made known to you. Verse 16, this is, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. Notice that in, in this verse 16, Jesus Jesus calls. He calls his disciples. They didn't choose him. He came to them. He chose them. He appointed them. And he also provides the help that is needed to accomplish what they're called to do. Jesus saved Paul and appointed him. If you know Christ this morning, he has appointed you as well. Are you not sure what to do? Are you unsure of your purpose in Christ? Ask God. Read his word. 
enlist the service of those in your church. Ask me. I'll help you the best I can. And once I take you as far as I can take you, I'll, I'll find somebody else that can help you. But don't sit on your responsibility and your calling in Christ. This is what he's called us for. This is all a part of his salvation, that we would be enlisted in his service. Moving on to verse 13, we see that Paul uh, received mercy. Jesus showed Paul mercy. Now, at first glance, it might seem to suggest that Paul is, is saying that if you act in ignorance and in unbelief, that Jesus is obligated to save you. This is not the case. Paul is not instituting some new way for you to be saved where God is obligated to save you. Whether your sin is of ignorance or not, Jesus still had to choose to extend mercy to you. This same Paul writes in Romans 9, verses 15 and 16, where it says, For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Verse 16, So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Jesus in Luke chapter 23 Verse 34 said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Again, Jesus in Matthew 9, verse 36, it says that he had compassion on them because they were helpless and harassed like sheep without a shepherd. No doubt Jesus is drawn to those who have unbelief, who are helpless and harassed. But being ignorant isn't something you can manipulate. You can't unhear or unlearn that which you've already heard or learned. And so at the end of the day, Jesus' mercy depends on his choosing and his, and his decision. Apart from Jesus extending mercy to Paul, he would have suffered the penalty of his sins. Paul's sin in ignorance and in unbelief dramatically changed the lives of many. Remember, this was Paul who was also called Saul in, in Acts chapter 7 and, and chapter 8. He approved of Stephen's stoning. Paul approved the murder of Stephen, but also others. Yet he received mercy. Stephen no doubt had friends, family, and loved ones who cared for him. Acts chapter 8 says that devout men buried him and made great grief and sorrow for Stephen. This is a sobering truth that we need to be reminded of this morning, that our sins affect those around us. How about you this morning? Has your ignorance and unbelief cost someone their life? Has your disobedience to God cost your loved ones greatly? Think about emotionally and stress and relationships. What has your sin cost those around you? This was the reality that faced Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. When he realized the harm done by his sin, he decided to, to take the means that he had to pay back those that he had wronged and to offer relief to the poor. And so this morning, I'm not making a, a case for reparations. That's not what I'm trying to do. However that lands on you, you, you apply that as God calls. But what I want us to understand is that when Jesus extended mercy to us, it's not just mercy for the sins that we committed, but also the cost that others had to pay for our sins. The effects of our sins are far-reaching. And Paul didn't have the means to bring back Stephen. Paul didn't have back the means to bring back to life those that he executed or those he, he voted to be uh, executed. Indeed, the mercy Paul 
uh, received and the mercy that Christ extends to us is definitely great. But just a side note, I want us to notice something you see in Acts chapter 7, verse 60. That Stephen, before he would take his last breath, prayed for Paul. Let's look at Acts chapter 7, verse 60. You see there where it says, He cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And so think of who's, who's around Stephen when he's praying this prayer. There stood Paul approving of his death. Stephen interceded for Paul. I'm reminded of that, of that old song I would hear as a kid, that somebody prayed for me. Somebody had me on their mind, took the time to pray for me. I, this, this is amazing that God would use Stephen being stoned in the life of Paul. Paul's standing there convinced that he is doing the right thing. He thinks he's serving God by having Stephen stoned. And Stephen is looking into heaven saying, I'm concerned about those that are around me in this moment, their sin, their well-being. God, don't charge this sin against them. This is, this is why it's important for us to pray for the salvation of those around you, especially your enemies. It may be that God would answer that prayer and save those that are lost. Moving on to our fifth reference of what Christ did for Paul, we see in verse 14 that Jesus overwhelmed Paul with grace. Notice the order of mercy, then grace. Mercy always comes first. Jesus saves us by not giving us the punishment we deserve and then giving us the gift of love and faith, which is what, which is what we need to believe and follow in Christ. Paul in verse 14 says that the grace of the Lord overflowed for him. Why does Paul receive overflowing grace? Because Paul was overwhelmed by sin. We see in, the, in Ephesians 1, 7, that in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. When the Bible talks about how God distributes and gives his grace to us, it's, it's usually in terms of lavish, riches, abundant, overflowing. The idea is that there's just an endless supply of grace that God has given to his people. And we need that this morning because of our state of sin. So those of us that are saved this morning, we faced eternal death. We were drowning in sin, but God, through Christ, rescued us, and he overflows us with his grace. Moving into our, our sixth reference of what Jesus did in the life of Paul, we see in verse 15 that Jesus came into the world. Paul writes to Timothy that this is a message you depend on. Earlier, Paul is, is speaking about false prophets. And so when he gets to this point, he's saying, here's the message you can depend on. This is a true message. You can take this to the bank. This is, this is what you base your life on, the fact that Christ came to save sinners. Paul writes that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. I want us to consider that phrase that Jesus came into the world. This is something we should not gloss over too quickly. We're in October. As you and I visit stores, you can see Christmas decorations even now. All of the commercial aspects of, of how we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate the fact that, that Christ came into this world. This statement holds within it the fact that Jesus was not already in this world. 
He had to come from somewhere else to save us. In John chapter 1, verse 14, it declares that the word became flesh and lived among us. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, it says that though he was in the, was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus even coming down to earth, stepping in our situation, is a display of grace and mercy to us. Jesus came into the world that he created to save those that he created. Jesus just didn't come to to be born in a manger. He just didn't come to be uh, the, the subject of your favorite Christmas playlist. Jesus came to save sinners, and that he did. Moving back to, to Paul's full statement in this verse here, he, he, he recalls to Timothy the fact that Jesus came in the world to save sinners. Jesus saves sinners. This is, this is what Jesus does. This is a foreshadowing of, of what's to come, that Jesus came down to earth to be with us. This is the way it was supposed to be all alone, that God would dwell with his people. This is what Adam and Eve lost at the fall. They lost that close relationship and presence with God. And in the, and in the end, that's what we will return to, that we will be with God, we will be with Christ, and he will be our God and we will be his people. But it was necessary for, for Jesus to come and save us. Here's why. We know this already, that the price uh, for, for sin requires the blood of one that's innocent. This is the whole Old Testament sacrificial system that God allowed us to, uh, allowed Israel rather, to uh, make sacrifices of, bull, of bulls and goats and, and, and blood and all these different uh, sacrifices that they made, all pointing to what Christ would come and do on the cross. What Jesus accomplishes in his life is the righteousness required to make payment on the cross. Because we needed someone that was innocent, we needed somebody to come and, and demonstrate that they were innocent. Christ came into the world and, and kept the commandments, kept all the laws. Consider, I, I want you to really think about the fact that Christ never sinned. I know we know that. I know that's like, you know, something that's just kind of there. But think about your own life and how many times you've sinned. And the times that you've sinned that you didn't know that you've sinned. And Christ, has li- Christ came and lived perfectly without sin. That's amazing. That makes his sacrifice all the more sweet for us. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says that he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus saved sinners by taking on our sin because he had none, and the payment that was due for us, the death and eternal separation that's due for us, he took that to the cross. Many have called it substitutionary atonement or the great exchange, where Christ gives us his perfect life in exchange for our record of sin. Christ defeating death means that by faith, you and I have the victory that Christ achieved. In Hebrews uh, chapter 7, verse 27, in speaking of Christ, it says this, He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily for his own sins, then for those of the other people, since he did this once and for all when he offered up himself. But what are we saved from? What, what exactly is, is Christ saving us from? 
in Romans chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, we see that, but for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but they obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. Apart from Christ, we are facing eternal separation and punishment from God. At, at times, it could be hard to, to understand what, what we're actually saved from because we don't actually see it. But what gives us a glimpse into that is the holiness of God. When we consider how other God is from us, it should trigger in our hearts that when he says he's going to punish us, it's going to be a severe punishment. Because he doesn't, he, he doesn't know sin. He, he doesn't even allow sin in his presence. And so for us to build this, this long, long, lifelong track record of sin, when it comes down to the end and we don't have Christ, that punishment is going to be severe. The fact of the matter is that Jesus, Jesus saves sinners. No one gets a pass. That's what we just read in Romans chapter 2. Your sin, your, sin, your payment, uh, payment for your sin will be made. And so the question becomes, who's paying for your sin? Are you paying for your sin? If so, it's eternal wrath and punishment. Is Christ paying for your sin? If that's the case, then you have the free gift of eternal life. And we are being saved from the wrath of God. I heard it once said that we are being saved by God from God. That he has come to save us from the wrath to come. Paul, in declaring that Jesus saves sinners, adds in that he himself is the worst sinner. The first sinner. Paul here says that Jesus came to save the sinners of whom I am the foremost. Notice that Paul uses the present, present tense, I am. I am currently, at this moment, the worst sinner. Now, this isn't a confession that he sins more than, than anybody else, but for Paul, his understanding of the gospel meant that his debt never diminished. Christ didn't pay for his sins for Paul to enroll in a repayment plan. As Paul understood the gospel, he sees that his debt is more than he thought it was before. The, the price Christ paid seemingly increases, because, not because he sins daily, but because Paul understood more and more how holy God is and how much Christ really paid. I would suggest to you this morning that if you don't consider yourself the foremost sinner, you may not quite understand the gospel properly. Your sin may differ from someone else's. Your sin may cause or may have caused a less immediate suffering for others. But you should never find yourself in a position of thinking, man, I'm glad I'm not him. At least I didn't do that. I wasn't a murderer or a thief. I wasn't on drugs or, or whatever sensational type of testimony that we tend to glorify. If you don't have a sensational story of God saving you as we tend to celebrate, whatever sins you were forgiven of before coming to Christ was enough for you to spend eternity separated from him. As you grow in knowing who Jesus is and what he has done for you, the cross gets bigger, bigger, and bigger because you realize more and more that you didn't deserve salvation. Understanding yourself as the foremost of sinners makes salvation personal. Paul makes the general declaration, and then he makes it personal. Jesus came to save sinners. 
And when that comes to me, I'm the worst of them. Moving on to, to our eighth, our eighth uh, and final reference of Jesus' salvation and Paul. Paul mentions a second time of why he received mercy. Jesus displays mercy in the life of Paul uh, that he might display his perfect patience. Jesus saved Paul for Paul's sake and for the sake of others. Paul understood that his ministry, his service to communicate the mercy and the grace of God in his life was so that others would hear his testimony and know that Jesus is patient. The patience that that Jesus displayed in saving Paul was not passive. Jesus wasn't standing around on Damascus Road waiting for the moment to meet Paul. Jesus saves with active patience. Jesus offers us a chance to repent of our sins day after day. That's, That's part of his patience. But another way that we see Jesus being patient is that he keeps you alive. Jesus actually gives you breath day by day while you sin against him. Jesus kept you alive while you were sinning against him. Jesus fed you day by day while you were sinning against him. Jesus woke you up every morning, filled your lungs with breath for you to go out and to sin against him. That's mercy. That's patience. That's love. How long did it take for you to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? How many sermons did you sit through until the gospel finally clicked in your heart? How many times did you make those deal with God? God, if you get me out of this one, I will fill in the blank. Go go to church, read my Bible, pray more, whatever it is. I don't know about you, but I've prayed those prayers. God, if you would just da-da-da-da, I'll do this. Not understanding and not knowing what the gospel is. It's undeniable the patience that Jesus had with Paul. Jesus actually kept Paul alive while he was persecuting Christ's followers. How's that for mercy? How's that for patience? Paul describes Jesus' patience as perfect. He's impatient. He doesn't rush. Jesus doesn't procrastinate. Romans uh, Romans 5 verse 6 says that, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus saves. He doesn't wait around for you to save yourself or better your situation. He saves you at the right time. So simply put, Jesus saves. Now for those of us keeping score this morning, I want to kind of re, I want to run through these eight references to what Christ has done and compare that to, to what the references we see of Paul. We see that Jesus gave Paul strength. Jesus judged Paul faithful. He elected and appointed Paul to serve. He extended mercy to Paul. He overflowed uh, grace to Paul. Jesus came into the world. He came into the world to save sinners. And he finally, he displayed his person, perfect patience in the life of Paul. Now consider what we see of Paul in this set of verses. Paul was a blasphemer, persecutor, a violent opponent, ignorant, unbelieving, and the foremost sinner. I just want us, just want that to land on you this morning, that there are eight references to what Jesus did in the life of Paul and and seven references of what, what Paul contributed. Like Paul, we only did not contribute anything to our salvation. The fact is, anything we try to contribute only make matters worse. The hope we have this morning is that Jesus saves And as it talks about in Hebrews, that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. He doesn't need any help. 
We don't contribute anything to, to Christ's salvation. And that this is the hope of the gospel, that Jesus has brought salvation and invites you to come. Jesus elects us not because we're worthy of being chosen, but because Jesus had a plan to change us and to make us into his image. What we have in the gospel is the power to live as we were meant to live. I love the example of of Onesimus and, and Philemon. Onesimus means useful. That's what his name means. But if you read that story, you see Onesimus was not useful to anyone. But through Paul... Onesimus got to meet Christ. He got to to trust in in the saving power of Christ. And Paul writes to Philemon saying, now he is useful. Christ has taken that which was not useful and now has made it useful. Jesus brings life. This is is the power of the gospel in our lives. Jesus, Jesus brings life where there was death. And so the testimony of our salvation should encourage us in our daily walk. The gospel is not just what we need to be saved. It's what we need to continue to grow as Christians. I don't know about you, but there are times where I'm tempted um, to quit. I I struggle at times of of being um, gripped by my sin and and just just being in in low moments where I'm like, God, are you there? How do do I overcome this sin? My heart condemns me. There there are moments um, where I'm low and I need encouragement. There are times where I may find myself stuck in my faith. And this is a verse that I've been encouraged by this week. It's 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. It says this, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. I don't know about you, but that's, that's a freeing verse for me this morning to know that God is bigger than my heart. When the moments when Satan and my heart wants to accuse me of my sin and say that you don't have any hope in Christ, this verse tells us that God is bigger than our hearts. He actually knows the full story. If I'm frustrated in my walk and with my faith with Jesus, he's not. God is not in heaven frustrated. Like, man, I don't know what we're going to do with Pasquale. I don't know how we're going to move him forward. God is like, yeah, this, this is... My plan is working. My plan is working. Hold on. Just, let's just, we're going to take this step by step. We're going to walk this out. We see in 1 John 1, 9 where it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Perhaps during this pandemic, maybe you've felt, felt lax in prayer. Maybe your time in the Word isn't where it should be. Spending time with, with God. Our fellowship with one another has been impacted by this. Maybe you've returned to old patterns of sin. Maybe you've developed new patterns of sin. The encouragement we have this morning that Jesus still saves. The pandemic doesn't affect Jesus' ability to save you this morning. Jesus has invested too much in your salvation to leave you. And we only looked at this passage, but the overwhelming story of the Bible is that you are a part of a plan that is too big to fail. God has given his, Christ has given his life on the cross for your salvation. Hold to him. No matter what Satan or your heart says, your sin won't have the final word. Jesus will have the final word. Don't wait. Come. Come to Christ. Don't delay another day. If you're here this morning or you're listening on the live stream, 
God has kept you alive this morning to hear the gospel message of truth that you would come to know Christ, that you would turn from your sins and repent and walk in newness of life. This is the power of the gospel. The miracles that Jesus performed that we see in the gospels highlight to us what the gospel does. Jesus gave sight to the blind. The lame walked. He raised the dead. These are all indicators of what he's doing. When we follow Christ, what we're following is a lifelong journey of God bringing life to situations that are dead, that were dead. And this is what we get to experience as a church. If we have fellowship with one another, we get to experience moments, week by week, month by month, year by year, of situations where there was death and God has brought life. Situations where those who didn't have children now have children. Situations where those who had cancer have now been healed. Situations where those, you see them as a child, they grow up and you see them come to faith. You see them baptized here. This is what we have as a body, the power of the gospel at work in our midst. I pray that we would see that, that we would make every effort to take advantage of, of the gospel that we, uh, that we have and proclaim. And so if you're here this morning and you're overwhelmed, maybe you don't know what to do, maybe you're fearful, scared, tired, wherever you are this morning, Christ bids you to come. Christ wants you to come. This is what Jesus has come to do. He has come to save sinners. Let's pray.